The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Year, session number 448. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am here to give you the best information possible when it comes to applying to medical school. And sometimes we go beyond that. Sometimes we talk about medicine in general. I know a lot of you want me to talk about a lot of topics out there that I'm honestly just not comfortable talking about because I'm not super educated on them. And as you'll as you notice, if you listen to enough of these podcasts, I stay in a pretty narrow lane because that's what I'm comfortable talking about. That's what I know. That's what I've learned from admissions committee members and a lot more. And so, yeah, there are a lot of things happening in the medical world, whether it's insurance companies or scope creep from advanced practitioner, uh, advanced practice providers uh, or, or anything else. And you likely won't hear me talk about those things just because I'm not comfortable talking about them because I don't know enough about it. So uh, I I encourage you to go seek out information about advanced practice providers and the scope creep that we're seeing with PAs and NPs. Uh, I encourage you to learn more about our healthcare system so that you can do something about it so that if you think we should have a, a single payer system or, or something different, whatever that looks like for you, go and explore those topics yourself. But here on this podcast, we're going to stick to some of the the pre-med topics. Now, I have a lot of great guests lined up for you in the future. I know it's something else that a lot of you have wanted are are bringing back some more success stories and and different different guests to talk about their topics. Next week I should have a great uh pair of guests actually for you talking about uh, a brand new way to hopefully help you with the MCAT and then I have some other great guests lined up talking about their successful journeys to medical school. So stay tuned for some more great topics coming up. We're going to jump into another Q&A today. I love Q&A. If, if you haven't noticed, I, I love doing q and I know a lot of you have probably heard a lot of what we talk about here before. I encourage you to listen to these. I listen to a few podcasts where it's, it's a ton of Q&A, and I still listen to all of them because the way that the, the podcast host in that case rephrases things or says them says things just a little bit different with a little bit more nuance it finally clicks for me. And I'm like, oh, that's the difference. Something that I never got before. So that's why I will continue to do Q&A. I love doing it. Um, And and I'll be here to support you. Let's talk about the MCAT Minute real quick, sponsored by Blueprint MCAT. As you're going through your journey, unsure of of your path, one of the things that we we ranted about last week, I ranted about last week, was self-awareness. And being self-aware enough 
to know whether or not you're going to be ready for the MCAT when it comes to the classes that you should be taking to prepare yourselves for the MCAT. So as you're going through the process, as you're looking at your schedule, the previous years and moving forward into when you're planning on taking the MCAT, make sure you're checking in with your advisors, with anyone else, with just your schedule, making sure that you're gonna take the classes that you need for the MCAT. And if you aren't going to take the classes that you potentially need, if you're gonna miss an Orgo 2 or Physics 2 or Biochemistry or something else, make sure that you have the time to self-study those things. So that's what I wanna talk about. It's, it's always a good idea to understand what you're going through. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com and sign up for a free account. Yes, a free account where you get a half-length diagnostic for free, full-length one out of 10 that Blueprint has for free, an amazing study planner tool, and so much more, all for free over at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump into our Q&A today. What's going on, Instagram Live? It's Friday morning. Gonna try to do these Instagram Lives every Friday, hanging out with you every Friday morning. Come answer some questions. Uh, come give you some motivation. You can come tell me I'm being toxic if you want to. It's all good. Hello, Negan. Dark Skin Beauty. Hello, Jacob. Hello, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Already got, already got requests to go live. All right, let's go. Let's go, let's see. Uh, I'm excited. I would love to just do an hour of people joining live. That'd be fun. Hello, Vanessa. Hi, good morning. How good are you? Morning. I'm good. You, you jumped right on that request button. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't hear the first part. You said that we can answer, ask you any questions that you may have. Sure. Okay, got it. So um, I was thinking about applying to medical school this cycle, okay. and I got my pet score back. Yep. And it's not the best. <laughs> so I pulled back from my application. I didn't submit it at all. Okay. I'm just now like thinking if I should do a special master's program okay. or I, what I, I should I do. Love, during that I love this question because mm -hmm. what did you just say was the factor that caused you to not submit your application? My MCAT. Your MCAT. So why would you do a special master's program? So my stats, they're no, not. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about your GPA right now. <laughs> okay. Your MCAT is what you led with. Yeah. Yeah. An SMP doesn't mm -hmm. fix an MCAT. A postback mm -hmm. program doesn't fix an MCAT. So mm -hmm. many students with good GPAs, and we can get to your GPA. So many mm -hmm. students with three sevens, three eights, do mm -hmm. terrible on the MCAT. Don't get into medical school. And then they go do an SMP. They spend 50 grand to go do an SMP when all they really needed to do was spend maybe a couple thousand dollars on a tutor to do better on the MCAT. Mm -hmm. Right? Their grades, SMPs and postback programs, uh, outside of career changers who need to um, get the, uh, the, the prereqs because they didn't take them in, in college. But outside of that, mm -hmm. SMPs and postback programs are to prove academic capability, especially if you struggled early on. A poor MCAT score doesn't, that, that's not the same thing, okay? Mm -hmm. So you need a better MCAT score, potentially it sounds like. 
So get a better MCAT score. That's through different studying techniques, uh, group group study, uh, group group MCAT studying, wh- whatever that mm-hmm. looks like for you. That's mm-hmm. that's the MCAT. That's its own bucket. Now okay. let's let's look at the GPA bucket. <laughs> okay, so my GPA, <laughs> my overall GPA is a three three. Okay. So what does the trend pretty, look like? Not the best. It looks like an upward trend. Okay. I have what, a lot of mean? clinical experience. I don't care about clinical uh, experience. So this is this okay. is a very common thing. <laughs> Students do be like, my GPA is not good, but I have great clinical experience. I don't care about your clinical experience. Um, okay. So so just like you were deflecting off of your MCAT score earlier. Oh, my camera just <laughs> fell down. Um, <laughs> deflecting off of your MCAT score earlier and uh, and going to your GPA. It's the mm-hmm. same thing here with um, with your GPA deflecting to clinical experience. So mm-hmm. 3.3, upward mm-hmm. trend for me is 30, 40, 50 credit hours of as close mm-hmm. to a 4.0 as possible. What does that look like mm-hmm. for you? I don't I don't know that off of the top of my okay. head. Okay. Right now, sorry. Okay. Check out MAPPED, M-A-P-P-D dot com. Okay. Sign up for a free two-week <laughs> trial. You don't need a credit card or anything. And, and go plug in all of your information. And it'll give you pretty... Mm-hmm pretty graphs and mm-hmm. um, give, give you some idea of what that trend looks like. 3.3 okay. is low. If it's a 3.3 and your last 50 credit hours are close to a 4.0, then I would say your GPA is not a problem, right? Because you've already okay. proven from an academic standpoint mm-hmm. that you can handle classes. You just struggled early on and you're a late bloomer, right? Got it. Got it. And that would be overall, right? Check those, or is it just science? I, ideally at this point, science. Science GPA. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, you, so got, you got some work. I think it's a good idea not to apply this year. Mm-hmm. Take take some classes and classes potentially, again, if you don't have that upward trend, classes can be community college, can be four-year university. You don't have to spend the money for a formal program like an SMP or a mm-hmm. formal postback. Got it. Last question before I let you go. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like, I guess, the Caribbean med school? Like yeah. going straight into that. Yeah. Um, it's enticing, isn't it? Because you potentially could go right now. My concern is that, number one, we don't know what's going to happen with Caribbean medical schools and residencies once step one goes past fail next year in 2022. My, my gut tells me that all of the weight of step one is just going to shift to step two. And if you don't know what step one, step two, what that means, don't worry about it. It's not really that big of a deal. Just understand that there are more tests in medical school, and those tests weigh heavily, have historically weighed heavily in terms of residency applications and, and the specialties that you, you uh, may be able to match for in residency. Going to the Caribbean historically has been a negative thing on an application, and students have been able to overcome that with massive step one scores, really, really good, like 99th percentile step one scores. Mm -hmm. The problem is for me, for you, is that I don't know if you've proven that you can handle medical school yet, Mm -hmm. US or Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Going to the Caribbean doesn't mean easy medical school. Going to the Caribbean means you'll have some hurdles on the other side, but medical school is still really hard. Right. And you have to potentially do even better because you're at a Caribbean medical school with that little bit of a, a stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. So I would prefer 
you do the work that you need to do now to prove to yourself that you are capable of doing well in medical school by taking another year of classes, getting as close to a 4.0 as possible, and then deciding, should I just go to the Caribbean? Should I not do well on the MCAT? Because doing well on standardized tests is just doing well on standardized tests, even though the MCAT is just a completely different beast. Anyway, um, and, and I, my feeling is that too many students in your situation run to the Caribbean because it's easy and they haven't proven and haven't given themselves the confidence that they can do well. And so mm-hmm. as soon as adversity hits in medical school, because it will hit because medical school is hard, even in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. students quit or they're kicked out of school because they're struggling too much. And now you have $60,000 worth of debt for your first year of medical school and no career to, to pay that back. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you so much. You're I welcome. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great start. Let's get some more people hanging out with me. <clears throat> Let's get Kieran on here. Um, Alejandra, so medical schools that are not fully accredited are not a problem. Full accreditation for medical schools doesn't come. Hello, are you there? All right, we'll uh, go bye-bye to that person. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the process of being fully accredited, it doesn't happen until a medical school graduates its first class. And so there's preliminary accreditation and then full accreditation, and, and there's just a process to that. So there's a lot of work that goes into even getting prelim accreditation for a stu- for a school to accept its first um, to accept its first class, so I I have no problem with uh, students going to those schools. So Jessica, I was a two sport D one athlete in college. Should I put it as one or two activities on my application? Really, it's up to you. Uh, my assumption is that both were very important to you. And so potentially both are, are good to put on there. There are no rules there. William, so this is a, a, a fun question because there's a lot of stigma around for-profit. Um, for-profit schools, for-profit companies, right? I, I feel like what I do is, um, is helpful for the pre-med community. My assumption is you potentially feel that way too because there are 125 of you or so watching right now. And yet when I go reach out to schools, whether to medical schools or to undergraduate schools and say, hey, like I'll send you free books to put in your pre-med library. Do you want them for your students? They'll go, no, we're not allowed to interact with for-profit companies. And I just like, like what? Like, it's just ridiculous. Um, so the the problem isn't for-profit, not-for-profit. You look at the AAMC. The AAMC is a super predatory, not-for-profit company. But because they are not-for-profit, everyone loves them. They're like, oh, they must be a great company. They're not-for-profit. AAMC is sitting on $300 million of net assets. Where does that money come from? It comes from ruining the application services for both for both medical school and residencies uh, and, and creating a test that requires so much prep that you as a student have nothing to do other than give them lots of money. 
but they're not for profit. So, oh, it's okay, right? It's ridiculous. So I don't have a problem with uh, for-profit schools. I have a problem with predators, okay? So there are many Caribbean medical schools, and Caribbean is where the for-profit medical school gains its stigma. There are problems with the, the predatory behavior of the acceptance patterns of Caribbean schools that give for-profit schools a bad rap. Rocky Vista here in Colorado and in Utah, um, Cal, Cal, one of the Cal, one of the new Cal schools, CU, whatever, I, I forget all the uh, acronyms. Uh, those are for-profit schools. I believe Norda, the osteopathic school in Utah, is a for-profit school. I have no problem with them being a for-profit school. The question is, are they predatory in terms of who they accept and and what is their kind of results? So that's what I got. All right, let's bring on some more people. <clears throat> Hello Hi. there. Hi. First of all, I want to say thank you. You've helped me so much on my journey. Woohoo! What's going on? What can I help you with? Um, I have a specific question. I've watched lots of your videos, read your books, did all of that. So I have um, a more specific question. I currently work in clinical research. Okay. I'm regulatory compliance for the department. So our clinical trials and startup, I work with study sponsors. I work directly with doctors. So my role isn't really, it, it's not defined. I have a hard time talking about, oh, I do clinical things. I'm in surgery sometimes. I work as an, an, as an assessor. I work with study sponsors. I do yep. all of this. Um, any type of publication work, any type of working with our doctors is kind of outside of my role, but I feel like, um, in my application last year, I'm a reapplicant this year. Um, I didn't really outline, you know, there's a difference between my clinical job and the publications, the publications and like the writing work that I do is completely separate. Yeah. Do you have foundations on how to emphasize that? So you are allowed too, and, and this is a fun thing that there's no rules for the activity section, right? Yeah. For the most part. Uh, and so you are allowed to take one job and split it into two and go, okay. hey, 75% of my job is this, 25% of my job is that, and I'm going to talk about them separately. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Yeah. Okay. It, it allows you to really focus in on those things. I recommend it a lot for clinical research positions where um, a lot of the job is is paperwork and phone calls with patients and just tracking lots of things. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one aspect of it. And then another aspect typically of clinical research is lots of shadowing because you're sitting and waiting for the doctor to do their thing and waiting to for the patient to be done so you can take them to the next thing, whatever that looks like. And and yeah, take that shadowing out of, right? <laughs> take it out of the clinical research position, put it in shadowing. Okay. Okay. I did prior shadowing like um, years ago, you know, when I was younger, I did, you know, I was and I did all of those things. Would you recommend adding to that section? You know, I also do shadowing currently and talk about that. A thousand percent because okay. not having recent shadowing is a potential red flag. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That, that, that sounds good too then. I feel like that'll help a lot because I didn't emphasize that. It was kind of, oh, I did the shadowing and now I do clinical research. So I'm around, I'm in the hospital all the time. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. All right. That definitely, that definitely helps a lot. Cool. And much. Um, one more question. I know that you talk about trends in GPA being so important rather than the overall. Um, well, overall is important too. Yeah. And if you started off poorly, then your overall is just not going to look good ever. So let's talk about the trend. Right. Okay. So I started, um, I, I struggled a lot my freshman year. I had a close friend. I, I talked about that in my personal statement and, you know, I didn't handle it well. I should have taken time off. I should have done those things and I just didn't handle it well. So that's on me, of course, too. I started with like a, a two, five, two, five science and then it went to a three and then a three, two, and then a three, eight. So I finished with a round of three, both science and overall. Overall, I think was a three, two, okay. but that is aggressive. My last semester of, or my last two semesters, rather, my senior year, I took Orgo again. I got a B and then an A in all the higher level science classes, finishing like a GPA of uh, a three, seven or a three, eight overall. Great. Do you? Do you think that's concerning? Do you think I'll have a problem on the end of my GPA? It, it depends on what the rest of it looks like, right? Okay. If if, if if you start poor and then go up high and then go back to, down poor again and then go back up high, that's really not a trend. That's a roller coaster. Uh, right. If you start poor and then you get a little bit better sophomore year and then a lot better junior, senior year, that's a nice trend. What, okay. what a lot of students don't realize is that medical schools don't just see your final numbers, right? They don't just see a 3.0, a 3.5, a 3.3, whatever it is. They import every single data point into whatever software they are using to, to view and sort and, and evaluate students. And very similar to the graphs that we give students on MAPT, they have the ability to graph and, and see all of those things as well. So they can see the story behind the number, which is, is something I talk a lot about. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I could ask a question about personal statement, but I don't want to keep you too long. I want to give you the chance to go to other people. <laughs> all right. I appreciate it. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Yep. Uh, talking about personal statement, L. Ray says, I'm struggling with my personal statement. Can you talk about strategy for brainstorming? So I, I have a whole book. I don't know if you guys know about my books. I have a whole book that I wrote that's uh, uh, probably the best-selling personal statement book out there, How to uh, The Guide to Writing Your Medical School Personal Statement. So really the idea behind brainstorming is the, the way that I talk about personal statements is – 1,000% the personal statement is, why do you want to be a doctor? That is, that is the goal behind the personal statement. That's the question you are answering. And so you need to talk about the story on how you got to the decision that you knew you wanted to be a doctor. That's it. So brainstorm exposures and experiences that have led to this decision. All right, let's get a legger on. Arachi says, what is opinion on post-bac prereqs if they were not included in my undergraduate degree? That's fine. I mean, if, if you need classes because you didn't take them during your undergrad, then you need to do post-bac. Now, it doesn't mean you need a post-bac program. It just, needs, uh, <laughs> just means you need to uh, take those classes. 
The book is backwards. All right. Here, it's easy for you guys. Um, so if you just go to Amazon or wherever, all of the books are under the pre-med playbook series. There's, there's four of them here. Bruh. Four. Four books. All right. Let's go to Yuri. Let's try to go there. Good morning, Dr. Ray. Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, so I have a very, very personal question. So I recently got accepted to a both like a post-bat program versus SMP. Um, so one is the M M SMP is uh, fully uh, on scholarship. But my problem is post-bat programs only offer 13 credits hour. It's a one-year program. Mm. And the uh, master program is uh, two-year. However, their curriculum is almost exactly the same. Um, I think the master program has a little bit of more classes to take, like uh, immunology and other higher-level courses for the mm -hmm. second year. So, um, so my question is, um, with only 13 credit hour, is that enough to prove to med school? It, it depends on what the rest of your story looks like. Uh, the question is, why are you doing a post-bac? Are you doing it just because you don't have those prereqs? Or are you doing it because your GPA is not good and you need to fix that? My GPA is not good. Yeah. So, so, thir my, so, so the answer mm -hmm. is 13 credit hours isn't enough, typically. Typically. So... Um, so yeah, so I'm debating whether I should go to the master or should I just do one year post back. So even though my uh, trends are upward trends for the last four um, semesters, I think uh, the last four semesters I have 3.0 and above GPA. 3.0 is the uh, lowest and then I have 3.5 and 3.4 and 3.8. Yeah, so th that's not an upward trend in my mind. Upward trend okay. is like... 3.8, 3.8, 3.8, 3.8. Okay. That's an upward trend. So, okay. so it sounds like you need a little bit more work than just 13 credits. So I would probably look at the SMP, which is great because it sounds like you have a scholarship to it. Yes. And also, I was wondering if I do go to, um, so this is with Baylor College of Medicine with the postback. Awesome. So if I do take um, 13 quite an hour post-bat. So can I go back to my university and take another year worth of like undergrad sure. courses? You, you can do whatever you want. The question is, if you were going to do that, why spend extra money to do this formal post-bat, which really isn't giving you much? Okay. It's probably double the credit hour price-wise, if not more, right? Just, mm -hmm. just to go to Baylor um, mm -hmm. for 13 credit hours. Okay, and then the um, the one that I have full scholarship is a master program, but the courses are similar. So does that matter? Like whether do they look at like how rigorous the program is? Potentially. So what I heard, the one that I got in is from the uh, ball pastor in El Paso. Their program is okay. The curriculum is somewhat easy. So that's my another concern of going there. Okay. You have to decide that for yourself, what, okay. what works the best. It, okay. Again, it sounds like you need more than 13 credit hours. So okay. there, there are lots of ways to figure that out. 
Okay. Already. Thank you so much for answering my question. You are welcome. All righty. Rock and roll. Keep going here. Um, let's see. Let's try to get Allegra back here with us. Should I take the GRE or the MCAT for med school? GRE does not matter for medical school applications. You have to take the MCAT here in the U.S. I don't know potentially where you are. Should I write about my low MCAT scores in secondary essays? So secondary essays are very much answer the question. And so if there's a potential open-ended, is there anything else you want us to know? Maybe it goes there for me. A low MCAT score, writing about a low MCAT score doesn't help you. Uh, having a good MCAT score is what helps you. Medical schools need to make sure that you're going to be able to do well in medical school, that you're going to be able to pass the boards. And if you don't have a good enough MCAT score, they're just not going to look at your application. They're not even going to get to your, your essays. So writing about why you did poorly doesn't help. You just need to go do better. All right. Can't get Allegra on. Sorry about that, Allegra. Hello there. Hello. Um, I actually wanted to say thank you for, for your um, book on how to write personal statements. You're welcome. And all your application renovation videos. They're awesome. Um, and I promise there's no, I love science and I want to help people in that. <laughs> But I have a question. So on my MCAT, I have 127 for all of my sections except with cars. And on cars, I have a 123. <laughs> Let me yes, guess. You are uh, an English as a second language student. Right. Couldn't, couldn't tell by your accent. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, that's what happens with, with ESL students. It's, it's this right. terrible, terrible trend that we see with ESL students. Yeah, and yesterday I've been advised to not apply, but I have good GPA and I feel yeah. like I have good stories. So, so today, you have a you have a five hundred four if I'm doing my math correctly, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so, what do you suggest? Yeah, it, it's re again. I, this is something that I always I will never tell you what to do. I I just give you the information and you have to decide for yourself. A 504 is a lower score. It's better than average, right? It's not a terrible score. The 127s are great. The 123 stings. Not a lot of schools are gonna, the, the biggest fear that, that people have is that schools will filter you out because of the 123. And, and that just doesn't happen a ton. So I wouldn't worry about being filtered out by that. I would try to make your decision based on the 504. Now, Remember that the MCAT is just one piece of this whole puzzle, right? Extracurriculars, the story that you write in your personal statement, in your extracurricular descriptions, the application that you're putting forward in, yeah, with your secondaries, your letters of recommendations, your GPA. Those all come together to, to tell this story of who you are and, and what your capabilities will be in medical school. So can you get in with a 504? Absolutely right? But okay. a lot of things have to happen right for that to happen. Will a better MCAT score help you? Of course. So it, it really comes down to what your comfort level is with putting yourself out there 
and being rejected and going through this process again. Are you okay with that? Or are you more of a person who wants to play it conservative, not apply, prepare for the MCAT better or differently or whatever that looks like, do better on the MCAT and then apply with a better MCAT? Right. Would it look super bad if I applied this year, just go with it, go through. And if I don't get anything, then I apply next year and I'll have a year to no. prepare cars. No, no. There's, a, there's a big myth out there that being a reapplicant is bad, right? That there's that you're going to have this this red scarlet letter on your application that says, ooh, you're a reapplicant. You must be a terrible person. And that's just that's just not true. So experience. <laughs> what? It shows perseverance. It it does. It does. <laughs> but there's a lot that goes into that as well is you, you probably need to rewrite all of your essays um, or tweak them at least as much as possible. You need to get better letters of recommendations or different letters of recommendations or at the very least get updated letters of recommendations just with the date updated for the next application cycle. So as a reapplicant, you may get questions of like, what have you done differently this year? And, and I think the weakest answer is, well, I just got a better MCAT score, right? Because hopefully you're showing growth everywhere. You, you have new activities, you have better activities, you've reflected better. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and to, to Luke's point, Luke Molly's point, right? It's expensive. And so some people don't care about the cost and, and that's okay, that's not a barrier. And to other people, they're like, I can only apply once. And so I'm gonna make it the best possible application. Well, that's the thing because I got the FAP uh, fee assistance program. So if I don't use it ne- this year, it's not like I'm, I can use it next year, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's good. So yeah. so let me yeah. give you one other piece that that hopefully will help you on the MCAT. I, I don't I don't do a ton of MCAT prep uh, other than the MCAT podcast and and stuff like that. Um, you got one twenty sevens in the science sections, right? Right. That tells me that your English reading comprehension is perfectly fine. What's happening in the car section is you are telling yourself, I'm not a native English speaker. This is really hard. I'm doing terrible. What does that mean? Oh my gosh, I'm such a slow reader. And and the (laughs) negative self-talk during the car section is ultimately what's hurting you. Whereas you're leaning on your science capabilities for the the chem and bio biochem sections. You're leaning on that and you're you're not thinking about the fact that you're not a native English speaker and it's right. not holding you back. And psych soch is just a memorization test and, and so you obviously memorized all of that. So that's not a problem either. It's it's the negative self-talk that's coming into play with cars because all it is is reading comprehension. But guess what? The whole test is reading comprehension. And you're doing well everywhere else, which tells me your reading comprehension is perfectly fine. You're just telling yourself that you're not good at reading or you're a slow reader or whatever it is. And so your score comes down. Probably. I, I will keep that in mind for from now on, <laughs> just not to think about how I read. Yeah. Just I, I see but, it all the time. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Awesome. William, would my parents living in another state count as a strong tie? (laughs) I mean, if you're applying to a Texas school and your parents live in Oklahoma, no, that's not a strong tie. And another state, I don't know what you mean by another state. 
a state that you want to apply to? Yeah, potentially. All right. Anyone else want to come live with me? You can uh, request to go live. We don't have anybody now, so we'll bring you on. Any advice for incoming college students? Yeah, just learn how to be a good student. First and foremost, learn how to be a good student. Go check out MAPPED as well, MAPPD.com. Um, is doing an accelerated nursing count as a postback? No, nursing is one of the worst things that students can do um, to prove academic capability because most of the nursing classes aren't going to count as prereqs. So don't do that. What MCAT score is good to shoot for with a 392 science GPA and a 385 cumulative for next cycle? So KitKat, I don't, I don't think that science uh, or GPA and MCAT are like opposite ends of this like teeter-totter or this scale, like this legal scale, where if you have a high science GPA, your MCAT can be lower and that's okay, right? You want as high of an MCAT as possible, period. That's the answer. As high as you can get. Should I mention my nursing experience in my personal statement or relay other experiences that made me choose medicine? So for those of you who are coming from other healthcare fields, at least how I lay it out in my personal statement book is what is your seed? What initially drew you to healthcare? Now, hear those words that I said. What drew you to healthcare? Not when did you know you wanted to be a doctor? And so for people who became PTs, pharmacists, nurses, whatever, your seed is going to point to why you became a nurse in your situation. And then at some point, you have this epiphany that says, uh-oh, I need to go to medical school. And that's your pivot point. And then your watering of the seeds, again, as I lay it out in my personal statement book, is confirmation stories that say, yes, I, I, this is why I need to be a doctor. Will interviews be mostly online or in person this year? It's to be determined. Most schools, uh, a lot of schools are still not saying. Uh, my assumption is that a lot of it's going to be virtual. Hello there. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Very well, very well. Thank you so much for uh, for hosting this. Yeah, what's going on? So um, my story is a little bit uh, maybe unique, maybe not. But uh, I finished uh, undergrad here in Canada. I did uh, life sciences. Okay. Uh, med, and uh, my goal, my ultimate goal was obviously to go into medicine. I finished now six years because I did two extra years worth of courses um, to try to upgrade my grades. We don't really have post back programs uh, here in Canada. Yep. Or at least I haven't heard of them. <laughs> and uh, I'm currently sitting at where I had my first three years were pretty, really low marks. And my last three years are about 3.8, 3.9 GPA. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I am thinking of applying, obviously, to medical school. I haven't written my MCAT yet, but I will be writing it soon. Okay. And I am wondering if there's anything I can do. My extracurriculars are amazing. I've done some really, really unique activities. Great. Uh, volunteering and work and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, my GPA is what's killing me. Yeah. Uh, my current GPA will probably be around a three, maybe less than a three. Yeah. And I applied for a special consideration where they would basically look at my previous grades and because of my personal circumstances, they would give me an academic withdrawals on all those really, really bad grades. Okay. And now if that happens, if I do get approved, I will have a GPA of about 3.7, maybe overall. Okay. 3. 
something around there. Okay. Um, and that would be obviously very, very good. I just don't, I'm wondering how such an application would even looked at when you have a bunch of W's on your script. Um, and you know, obviously have to be taking courses as well to improve those grades. So um, um, it's where I don't know how they consider it. So when, when, when you ask for this special consideration, uh, and for people who don't know, Canada doesn't have a centralized application service like we have in the States. Ontario does have a, a similar application service. Who are you asking the special consideration from? Each individual medical uh, school, or is it just like your, your, your provincial medical school? What does that look like? So the special consideration would be for my my own school, McMaster University. Okay. Um, and they, would, they would give me, they would take out those courses okay. that I did for the third year and to put it what academic it. withdrawals on all. So, yeah. so you're asking your undergraduate institution for a retroactive mm-hmm. withdrawal, which is what, what is somewhat common here in the States as well. Um, okay. So if that happens, the question is, do you have enough classes that medical schools will still consider you if, if you're withdrawing from all of those classes? If not, the medical schools most likely will go, oh, something happened here. I wonder what. And they'll just look at the rest of your, your application. I, I'm not super familiar with, with how Canadian schools will, will look at that. I don't know if you're applying to U.S. schools as well. Um, but I... If I were you, I would do as much as possible to improve your GPA. Now, getting into Canadian medical schools is is hard, right? It's it's really hard. Um, and what I see a lot of Canadian students doing is just going back and doing another bachelor's degree as as, as right. your as your post back, right? Um, and so at the end of the day, that there's there's only a few things that you can do as a as a Canadian applicant, unfortunately. Absolutely. I'm thinking of uh, applying abroad, of course, and that would probably be the best option for me. Yeah. Caribbean schools for Canadian students is, is typically a decent uh, alternative. Um, the In terms of residencies, depending on where you want to go to residency, whether it's here in the States or back home in Canada, uh, Caribbean medical schools, because they're MD schools, are, are above DO schools from here in the States. So there's there's lots of things to think about there. Last one, last question, if you don't yeah. mind. What are your thoughts on uh, Israeli schools? There are a couple of four-year programs there. Yeah, I mean, there, there's one Israeli school that's that's tied to. Um, uh, I forget what school here in the states. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think if you're comfortable going to Israel, I, I think the the far majority of what are typically considered American styled medical schools, right? Australia has one. Uh, Israel has one or two. I think Ireland or Scotland has one. And obviously the Caribbean schools. Um, there's there's a couple in Mexico. Y- you're going to get the education you need. The, the question at the end of the day will be, how much work are you going to put in to, to just make yourself stand out at the end of the day in terms of grades? Um, how much work will you have to put in to get the rotations that you want or need to get the networking experience and exposures that, that you're going to need to match for your residency applications. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll be tuning in. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Showing some love to our, uh, our friends up North friendly neighbors up North. Um, all right. Anyone else want to come on live with me? I got an about, uh, 20 more minutes or so. 
So Josh says, foreign degree in OT, but finished my post-bac classes. None of my courses carried over here. Do I just put post-bac for all my courses? So foreign degrees are, are this weird situation because a lot of medical schools, if not most, will require at least 90 credit hours here in the States. So do some research before you go too far down the... Uh, the rabbit hole of applying and realizing that you don't have enough classes for applying. Declined. Don't request to come on and then decline when I try to bring you on. People. Crazy. Um, hello, hello. Hi, Dr. Gray. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, what's going on? Um, I've read your books. I saw your videos and it's an honor to be here. I actually, um, so a little bit of background about me. I'm Canadian as well. Ah, Same as more, more friendly Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm applying this year. So I've already applied for two cycles to Canadian schools, but it's very competitive here. Yep. And this is my first time applying to U.S. schools. Okay. And so one thing is that I'm actually really struggling with the personal statement part. Okay. And what's happening is that I have my stories, as you said in your book, mm -hmm. but it's very, very difficult to not get cliche, you know, even though my reasons are very genuine, like even the cliche part is very genuine, but I feel like it's not being expressed as it should be. Okay. Give me an, exa wanna... Give me an example of what you think is cliche. So let's say, for example, I do um, life coaching as my career. I'm a non-trad, actually. I own a business here for two years. I've been working there and I do life coaching. So I work with people in terms of psychology and their personal development. Yep. And I've realized that I'm very limited in what I can do yep. with my career. So, and that's one. Okay. So I'll stop you right there. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a reason you're struggling with the, the reasons why you want to be a medical, uh, be, be a physician and go to medical school if you're trying to connect non-medical experiences and say, this is why I want to be a doctor. That's why it's coming off cliche, right? Life coaching and being a physician have nothing to do with each other. Mm. Period. Are you, are you coaching people as a physician? Of course, right? I, I can see the lines that you're probably trying to draw, but there's no logical step from I'm a life coach. I really want to do more. I want to be a doctor. Right? Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not logical. And so I need a better understanding of what led you to think about medicine in the first place. And, and it's almost always something around healthcare exposure. You were sick, your parents are sick, loved ones, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, these people have this huge impact on my life, my family's life. That's amazing. I want to do that too. And that's very common. That's not cliche. It's very, very common. And it's a logical step from I had this experience and I want to go explore healthcare. It's not logical to say, I'm a life coach, now I want to be a doctor. That's just, that's not a, that's, there, there's no, there's no logical connection point there. And so you, you need to do more deep self-reflection on how you got to that point to begin with. 
were you originally pre-med in college, didn't do well, decided to go off on a different path, or you found a love for entrepreneurship or whatever it is and went and went off on this different path, and now you're coming back to medicine, great, don't try to sell me the skills, right? And I've, I've read enough personal statements to know what students are trying to do, where you're like, ooh, look at how amazing I am. I started a business, I'm a life coach, I'm super successful, and now I want to go back to medical school for whatever reason. Right, it has, it has to be a logical job. Right, okay. Yeah, so for me, I was a pre-med for a long time. Um, I did my MCAT, I did everything, but then that love for entrepreneurship, the business side, it grew in my fourth year. So I, I decided not to apply, take like one year off, two year off, and then, I went there, but I still, it didn't fulfill me. So I came back and how I started my personal assignment is I'm talking about the seed. The seed is actually saying that, oh yeah, I did all the like volunteering, shadowing. I actually did all of those uh, back in my uh, university years. But then the main seed was when an earthquake happened, I did like a huge fundraising campaign. I actually went there and helped everyone. That's like how I start my story. So that is catchy. But then at the end, I want to also talk about why I'm now making a transfer right now, you know? So that's why I like kind of bring in that, that life coaching part. Yeah. So, so you get rid of the whole coaching part and just talk about the earthquake, the shadowing, like those, those things. I don't think you have to get rid of the whole coaching part. I, I think you, you shouldn't be trying to tie life coaching into medicine at all. You're, you're obviously off on this detour and you'll have to potentially discuss, it's a big question for non-trads is why now, right? What, what was the inciting event for you to, to go, I, I like what I'm doing, I'm glad I went off on this path, but I really need to go back and fulfill my initial dreams of becoming a physician. And so you, you just need to connect that story a little bit better, help the reader understand why you were pre-med to begin with, why you went down this path to begin with, that you had this little detour and now you're coming back to, to medicine and why that is. Yeah, so this might be a funny question, but what if our reason actually is cliche? You know, like what? Give me, give me a reason. So it is like um, my 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 dad is in healthcare field. I watch him growing up. He really inspired me. I worked in his clinic. Then coming here, I shadowed like a doctor. I really loved how they are working with patients, how they are interacting. Yep. Um, and these are like I am assuming that everyone is saying these. You know, yep. I thought so, it would make me a standout. No, but so so, so stop. That that's not cliche. That's common, right? Cliche is it's not your truth, right? Or or there's no there's no real meaning behind what you're saying. There's no there's no experience behind what you're saying. Your life experience is dad's in healthcare. I grew up around that. I got to see it. I got exposed to it. Therefore, it made me interested to go explore it for myself, right? And then I've had these other experiences that tell me this is why I want to be a doctor. But cliche is, I like science, right? There's, there's nothing to back that up. Tell your story. Don't be afraid of your truth. I see. And I'm, okay. I'm wearing the perfect shirt for it today. 
it's backwards, but it says your story matters. Yeah, so here's also like a thing that I've actually changed this personal statement for like 20 times. And I was at the point that I think it was like two nights ago that I told my sister here, like, read Dr. Gray's book <laughs> and tell me what I should write in this, you know? Um, so I've changed this already a lot of times. And it's kind of, I believe that it's getting late. And it's also the pressure, the stress of that as well. Um, can you talk a lot, like a little bit about the, the timeline? Because I feel like now I'm at a point that I want to get it done as fast as possible to get the primary in, get the secondaries, you know, because also I'm a Canadian. Yeah. Um, so I think my stats are a bit not in favor uh, in terms of how many international students I accept. My, my GPA is good. My GPA is actually four. MCAT is kind of good. It's like 511. Your, um, your, stats, are, your stats are great. So you, you have to do some... Uh, I'm going to mute you because they're get, getting some feedback. You, you have to do some research to find out what there, – there are U.S. schools that don't consider Canadian applicants as international applicants. So you'll have to do some research to find out what schools will consider that. Um, so out, outside of that, um, I, I don't want you to rush your application just to get it in, right? If you're just going to rush your application, you're, just, you're wasting everyone's time. And, and your money. It's, it's better to just take the time and go, I'm going to apply next cycle and and uh, be better prepared for it. So I, I always will hesitate. I, I'm not even going to talk about the timeline because if you're not even done with your primary application at this point or you haven't started it or whatever that looks like, it's, it sounds like you've been through iterations of your personal statement. Uh, but if you're still working on that, you're still working on extracurricular descriptions, all of that primary care, primary uh, application stuff, you're pretty late in the game. Now, can you submit in the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Then sure, maybe you should still apply and that's perfectly fine. Um I, I think as long as as long as you're applying, um, getting your application submitted no later than July, um, you're you're probably okay. Um, and and you, it sounds like you have good stats, so you, you may be okay in the long run. I see. Okay. And so, considering also my age, this is my last. I'm applying. I'm applying to everywhere. Canada, U.S., oh, Australia. Okay. okay, so this is completely. Can you pick up your phone? I'm I'm getting feedback because the mic. Oh, right, right, right. I'm bouncing off of the table and coming, or just turn down the volume. I might actually, yeah, I, I can just put on my headphones. Actually, yeah, then I don't have to keep muting you. All right, are we good? Not yet. Cut. Switch over. All right, I think we're okay. Let's see. All right. So. And we lost okay. it. All right, you're there. Gotcha. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Is it better? Yeah, perfect. So, your last statement is why you're not getting into medical school. Convince me I'm wrong. So, for all of you, someone just... just mentions my my stance on plan b's your last statement is why you're not getting into medical school because you have already determined i'm already a successful business person potentially right i'm still getting feedback from you so i'm gonna turn your volume down um you have already determined that your life is good enough now 
without medical school that you don't need medical school. And so you're gonna try because why not? And if you don't get in, that's okay. Versus everyone else out here killing themselves, literally and figuratively, unfortunately, right? To, to get into medical school because it's the only thing that they can see themselves doing. They have to be a doctor. Maybe it's for the wrong reasons, right reasons, whatever. I'm not here to judge that. But they have determined that they need to go to medical school. Period. End of story. And they're going to apply this year. They're going to reflect. They're going to apply next year. They're going to reflect. They're going to apply the year after that. They're going to reflect. And you're out here going, eh, I'm going to apply. And if I don't get in, that's okay. I'm not going to apply again. That's that's why you're no, not actually, going to get so. in. No, 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 no. That's not why. And I, I heard you say earlier that you've applied multiple times. But yes, yeah. So actually, my so my thinking is that I want to. So what I meant by that is that I want to start a school for sure next year. You know, if that is so, if I get into US, perfect, because that's my goal. I want to practice in US. Um, ultimately, but if I didn't, then I have to go to other like, countries like Australia, Ireland, and then come back to US as a way of okay, like residency. That's a completely yeah. different. That's not that's not your last time applying. That's just you're going to give it one shot in the states and then go somewhere. Well, else. I'm gonna yes, but technically, if I don't get into the states, I'm gonna accept because I already got into Ireland Medical School actually, but I declined that. Because I thought this is a better journey for me. Like you're studying in US as well, right? Rather okay. than studying somewhere else, I mean, coming back. In. All right. But then this is the last year, though, because it's also been a very long journey, very tiring. Yeah. And I'm going to start a school. So I, I wanted to also know your thoughts on like studying between like Australia, Ireland. Of course, you're not going to say Caribbean because that's not good. <laughs> I know. No, but no. I think, think I think Caribbean's perfectly fine for Canadian students. I, I, I think, I think people, People take my stance on the Caribbean and go, Caribbean's not good. No, that's not what I'm saying. You can get a, an amazing education going to one of the big four Caribbean medical schools, right? Oh, okay. The, when I say don't go to the Caribbean, it's not because the education is bad. It's because for U.S. citizens who want to come back and practice in the States, the application process is much harder as a Caribbean grad. That, that doesn't mean you don't have the education to do well. It means you have to do that much better than everyone else. So don't don't take my words and twist them. Going to the mm-hmm. Caribbean as, as a Canadian applicant and as a U.S. applicant, going to the Caribbean, to Ireland, to Israel, to Australia, to Guadalajara, wherever that is. These and again, it's a very similar question to the last student. These U.S.-based international medical schools or U.S.-structured international medical schools are going to give you the education that you need. It's up to you to put in the work to do well. Right, so in terms of getting residency afterwards, is there any like ranking for you or you don't? It depends like, on say, what your goal is. Are, are, you, are you planning on doing residency here in the States? Yes, yes. Then as an international medical graduate, you will be considered lower than US graduates. Yes, of course. But is there any... The comparison between, oh, you studied in like Australia, it's better than studying in Caribbean or they're all kind of yeah, the same. You, you can't say that in broad strokes. There may be specific program directors who care about one school versus another school, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I, I wouldn't in 
in broad terms say that Australia is better than Caribbean, is better than Israel, whatever? I see. Okay. So if I ended up, hopefully that's not going to happen. I'm going to get into US, but that's the goal. Uh, hopefully, but if I needed to choose, then it doesn't matter, basically. Go, um, go where you think you will thrive the most. I see. Okay. Hopefully right. that doesn't happen. And then uh, just one small question. Talking about my business, is that a, because like earlier we were talking about for-profit, non-profit. So talking about a for-profit business that I am running, I'm actually the founder, CEO of it. I have a really, like I have pride in it mm -hmm. and I've done a you lot, should. but I, I want to know like how much should I talk about it? Is that even good or should I just say that? Oh no, I just want to. No, like, talk, being tell, clinical. tell your story. Period. Okay. End of story. My assumption is that on the application, your job will be an activity and it will be a most meaningful activity. That's perfectly yes, fine. Exactly. Put it on there. Okay. I see. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for this time. I actually wanted to work with you, but you were so busy <laughs> earlier in the application cycle. So very happy that I got the chance to talk to you. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, everyone, I have to, to run to a meeting. Um, I hope you have a, a wonderful Friday, wonderful weekend. Um, happy Juneteenth, I guess, now that it's a, a federal holiday. I, I, I'm kind of torn of whether or not to celebrate it, to, to be excited for it. I think we as a country, as a society, have a lot more work to do than just say, hey, Here's a holiday for you all. So uh, there's a lot more work we all have to do. Um, but everyone have a wonderful weekend and we will see you next week. Will I do it again? Yeah, my goal is to do these every Friday. Um, obviously, I, I, I have random stuff that pops up here and there, but my goal is every Friday and then randomly here, there, and everywhere else. All right, have a great weekend. I'll see you guys later. All right, so there you have it. Some more Q&A and as a reminder, the next several weeks, we'll have some great guests to bring to you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.